The car business is rapidly changing and modern car dealers are meeting the demand. I'm Michael Cirillo, and together we're going to explore what it takes to create a thriving dealership and life in the retail automotive industry. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with subject matter experts that are designed to help you grow. This is The Dealer Playbook. My guest today is Chris Martinez. He's the executive director of sales and marketing at Jackie Cooper Imports of Tulsa, which includes Mercedes-Benz, Infiniti, Porsche, and Nissan. He is an automotive best-selling author and has assisted with the openings of five dealerships across the U.S. and helped turn a failing single-point store into one of the top 10 dealerships in the nation, moving them from 150 cars a month to over 1,000 cars a month. Did you hear that? Charles Mound Toyota is a single-point car dealership selling 11,000 vehicles annually and generates over $400 million in revenue. You know we've got to dig into that and learn about the processes and mindset and implementation and execution of Chris Martinez. All right, man, I'm I'm looking forward to this. Specifically, I have to get this out of the way right out of the gates. What in the world does one do to take a group or take a dealership, a single point, from 150 cars a month to over a thousand cars. Like, what does that even look like? Break this down for me. This is because I'm already doing the math in my brain. I'm opening my calculator and I'm going, wait, a thousand. Holy crap, you're selling a buttload of vehicles. I I imagine that probably wasn't an overnight transition. So can can you bring me into what that process actually looked like? Well, it's uh, it, it starts off relatively simple, right? It's um, it's the blocking and tackling. It's the basics, right? So you basically, when we work, walk into that store, you know, we assess the situation. You know, where was the traffic coming in? What do our people look like? Um, do we need more people? Um, where's their, where are they spending the money? Where are they not spending the money? Um, and once we identified a lot of those things, it was pretty easy to just start building that foundation. You know, you start looking at the, the people, the process that they have, um, and then how much traffic are they actually bringing in? And then, you know, what's your, your market? Um, what's your UIO? How many units in operation do you have? And what, what are you leaving on the table? Right. And so once we identified all those things, we, we kind of just put the plan together and, you know, we started hitting them. And then like the first month we went to like 220. The second month we were like at 330. Um, and then we just kept growing from there. Within the first year, we ended up doing 660 cars. Uh, but then, you know, just like anything, as it scales really fast, things start kind of breaking and you start thinking, well, what's going on here? Where are we missing here? And then you got to start putting in some foundation, other foundational things to help sustain the model. Um, so, you know, what's cool about living in that environment, you've got, you have an opportunity to see what it looks like at every level, right? So once you get to 600, there's certain things you have to make sure you put in place 
so that they can make it to seven to eight and you can keep going up. Right. Right. And then knowing, you know, you know, once the, the, once the thing starts moving pretty quick, it's real easy to just pick up speed. Right. And it's, um, it's a matter of, you know, how, how strategic can you be in your marketing where you can put the dollars to, to make, just continue to keep throwing more to that, that fire, right. right. To keep it burning, burning hotter. So it's, uh, it was a lot of fun, man. We, we had, I think once we finally broke a thousand, uh, it was inside four years. It, I mean, because, you know, you get to 800, 600, 800, 900, you know, it's, it's constantly trying to improve your speed, right? Right. That turn. And then you're doing it on 10 acres of land where most stores, it's a lot, they have more, more footprint, right? Right. Um, our, our footprint was really small. Um, to break that next barrier, you had to go find more land to house more inventory. Um, it was just a constant like growth mode. Where are we going to grow? Where's the next step? You know, every month it's, it's always identifying where were, where were deficiencies at, and then where can we shore up these deficiencies so that we don't make the same mistakes next month. So, and I practice that today. Yeah. You know, when we got here, this, this group was doing like 370, 400 cars a month. Right. Um, and now our best month was 690. Wow. Uh, we haven't broke 700 yet. Uh, we're still working on it, but you know, we've had a lot of challenges with inventory and, Right, uh, but we're still maintaining that level, so it's been pretty good. Well, and to do to do those kinds of numbers at a time when there's inventory, like you, you know, there's there's not an excuse in the book that that also your group is not dealing with, right? Same as everything <laughs> else. But I think it is interesting your growth mindset, and and I, I like the way you kind of position that. You talked about growing your footprint and getting more land and things of that nature. Um, can you give us a sense of, because I, I can only imagine there needs to be growth in personnel, like the actual human resource footprint probably has to grow in order to support that. And and the reason I'm, I'm asking you about this and maybe, I, I guess more specifically, what kind of numbers in, in human, re, like how many people do you actually need to pull off a thousand units a month? Because I think there's rural dealers out there listening and seeing this, not understand, or, or I shouldn't say not understanding that that's not the right word, but perhaps not anticipating how many people they actually need to support an enterprise of that size. Well, it's uh, with all things, you know, your business office, you want to make sure that you've got enough people in there to begin with. But for the most part, you know, as it scales, you'll be able to see, you'll be able to see how, how your people are responding and knowing when to actually put that extra personnel in. The beauty about the office, I mean, they can really, I mean, we've got one office for four franchises. And, I mean, it's an economy's of scale, right? When you're getting into a volume store, because you don't, you're not adding more and more stores to add more and more personnel, you're just scaling yourself. You're, you're one single point. Um, that economies of scale plays in really, really big because now you don't have to add more people there. The places you will have to add will be your, um, as you grow your UIO, because the more cars you sell, the more units in operation you, you put. So that's a service. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're going to have to increase your, your tags. You're going to have to grow that. 
because uh, a lot of people are so interested in trying to go out and hire new techs when they, if they put in a, a foundation for your, your staff in the back, you can grow your own techs. Um, and then you got, you know, service advisors you can hire, and then you have your salespeople you'll have to hire. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of some strategic things that we do to help mitigate the, uh, the need to have so many salespeople, right? Because uh, ideally what you want to have is some certain uh, processes in place that can kind of help amplify your current sales, salespeople. Uh, so that's where software comes into play and, um, and even outsource BDCs that come into play to help, you know, uh, amplify your, your current sales efforts. Okay. Let, let's bring, bring me into this. Cause I know a lot of, there, there's a lot of challenges out there as far as outsourcing particular work. And I think this is, this is very interesting, right? Because any book you read about scaling an enterprise or any subject matter expert, you know, you're now adding your voice to this, this group of people who have pulled this off. Talk about the importance of outsourcing particular tasks that may not necessarily have to happen or be controlled in-house. And so you're saying an outsourced BBC. I know a lot of people that have tried this. Obviously, you do as well, where they 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 think this is a good idea, um, but then there's not perhaps the mechanisms that need to be in place in order to have accountability or or things of that nature. And then they just go, oh, well, all vendors are the same. All vendors are just here to grab my money. All that. So what, what do you do? What kind of a process do you have around outsourcing um, tasks or work that is not necessarily essential to handle in-house? So for example, we have uh, some, we have a company that we use that helps us amplify automation for our salespeople and follow up. Right. Um, so, they actually help us out with, they have a built-in automated um, follow-up system where it does email, um, some voicemail marketing, SMS marketing, and it's all turnkey and it helps amplify our current follow-up process for the salespeople that although we know that we hold them accountable, we tell them to make their phone calls, a lot of the times you'll find that, you know, you'll have salespeople that will complete tasks that didn't really complete them. There's ways to like make it look like you've done the work, but you didn't really do it. And so in knowing that, I just know that I need to have some, some ways to help minimize their inefficiencies. And so we have these tools that we use to do that. In addition to that, I also have um, outsourced BDC and the BDC actually comes into play. Um, you know, I, when you're working in volume stores, or if you don't have the, the, all the staff you'd like to have, you know, when we have sales managers and there's some sales managers, you know, everyone has to take a day off. So, um, you know, you, a day like today, you've got some people off, you have one manager at one store running the store. Another manager might come in later on the afternoon. Well, at some point there should have been some type of management follow-up on all the opportunities that came in the day before, stuff like that. Well, in knowing that you're going to have some inefficiencies there because you can't overstaff stores because some stores, you know, you want to keep your costs in line. Um, But more importantly, you want to make sure that you're 
you're being productive. Um, we do some outsourced BDCs that will do the next day follow-up. Uh, and what I like about that next day follow-up is they call those customers for up to six times until they actually answer the call where a manager might make the call the next day, but then he doesn't call that customer ever again. He might call them the one time and never calls them again, you know, and cause he now he's looking at the next day and he's looking at the previous day stuff. So he might just call that one customer one time. So right. we make sure that those customers, no matter at what point when they came in, someone's following up with them. Either if it was an internet customer, phone customer, walk-in, referral, anybody that hits our CRM, we have an outsourced BDC that's going to make that follow-up call. That's amazing. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the process. I can only imagine earlier um, something that you said that stood out to me is you said when, when we come into a store, when we move into a store, to me, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, so you've got a process dialed in now by which when you move into a new location, maybe it's an underperforming organization or something like I can only imagine. <laughs> With all my love, DPB gang, we know, generally speaking, this is an under, there are un, very highly underperforming stores. So when you move into an organization, may, maybe it's not the entire store, maybe it's a specific department. What would you say is the the biggest shift that needs to happen to to basically unclog the drain, so to speak? Well, it's ideally it's a mindset, right? Because um, you know I, I worked at Carmax for many years, and I, I had an opportunity to. When I started there, they had thirty locations, and when I left there, they had over a hundred. And I had an opportunity to go and help open up. Um, quite a few of their stores. I was able to go and see what that looked like when, when they went into a new market. Um, and we talked a lot about underperforming stores, five-year manager, things that um, you run into um, as you, as the store gets older. And, um, and one of the things that, you know, when you go into an underperforming store, in my mind, it's usually pretty easy because these people are just so set in their ways that they just, they just forgot a lot of the things that they were supposed to be doing. Um, or they just didn't know what they didn't know. Right. You know, they just, no one's really taught them. A lot of times these uh, managers in the industry were just the, the best salesperson and they got promoted. And then the owners just never taught them how to actually do their job properly. They just knew, Hey, sell cars. Um, they didn't know what, you know, how to drive traffic, how to maintain it, how to look for areas of uh, opportunity uh, in different pockets to, to drive more, more business, how to help your salespeople uh, have a, a good process where you can actually help them sell more cars. A lot of times sales managers are, are holding a, a, their, their abilities back um, because they're not giving them all the tools. You know, right. I think a lot of times sales managers are just in the, in the, they're just looking at these salespeople like you're weak. You're not, uh, they're not really doing whatever they can to really help these, these salespeople be successful. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. I was just visiting, uh, some clients in Ontario, Canada. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is that they were 
I've kind of caught them in this transition where they didn't have a process. They've installed a process and they were very open, as you say, about uh, the mindset. Like they were very closed in the beginning. Oh, this is uncomfortable. It's awkward. Um, What are the customers? How are they going to respond? I'm not bought into this. And then seeing the flip, like I'm right on the fresh side of the flip where they're going, wait. And this was specific in F&I. Um, where they're going, you know, we were doing an average of 600, 650 per copy. Now we're well over 2,200 and they're seeing this immediate shift, but it's not just about the money. They're also noticing a shift in how much happier the customers actually are having exactly what they need for this thing that they've just invested, this depreciating asset that they've just invested a crap ton of money in. And so you're right. Like it, it but what I thought was so impressive was how they embraced um, the the mindset of, you know what? This is going to be uncomfortable. Like it, it, it's like trying on a new pair of jeans. You know, they're never comfortable at first. Right. Um, and so I love that you say that about, about just kind of implementing this, but with the right mindset. And it really is tremendous. You know, um, it, it makes me laugh too, because I've got a small little Facebook group we're, we're, you know, 170 strong, the DPB pro community, right? And and that's where we're trying to shift mindset. This isn't your typical car guy group where we just talk about com- what's the pay and comp model. And then, no, like I want people sharing what they're grateful for and why and what goal they want to achieve by Friday, you know, like that sort of a thing. And we did have an individual at one point that was like, this is such foolishness like this stuff this is so lame this isn't going to do anything and it just goes to show this this broad spread negative mindset and 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 what you're talking about really draws to attention the fact that mindset shifts actually mean something they are not just fluff they are not clouds they are shifting your mindset and wrapping your head around it and doing whatever it takes is what differentiates a Chris Martinez helping an organization go to 400 million in revenue and somebody who's stuck with every excuse in the book saying, well, how could, but yeah, well, it'd be easier if I was a Ford store. It'd be easier if I was selling super lux because I'd only have to sell like three a month and then whatever. No, it's like all mindset, right? It is. I love that, man. Um, it's crazy because, you know, you, there's a lot of dealers that they get romantic about the way they used to do things. And, right. uh, and they're just not open to either change or they just don't see the possibilities. You know, and I go in and I usually just, you know, I, I write them, you know, even to this day, though, it's, it's kind of funny, right? There's still certain individuals that will still look at you like, yeah, you're not really doing anything special. You know, because their, their mindset's still stuck in their old ways, you know. Even though you'll show them, look, we've done this, we've done this. It's not the first time. You know, I, I had a guy challenge me when I first got here. And he goes, what's making what's making you so special? How are you going to do what everyone – we've been doing this forever. I've been here for 20 years. What's what's it going to change? What's What are you going to actually do? Right. I go, well, I'm going to tell you one. Uh, where, wherever I go, I'm not going to fail. Um 
Um, when I was at CarMax, we sold 700 used cars a month. When I was at Universal Toyota, we sold 660 month, cars a month. When I went to Charles Mont Toyota, we sold over 1,000 cars a month. And here, there's no reason why we're not going to break 700 cars a month. I mean, it's just it's just what we're going to do. And, um, and fast forward, we didn't quite hit the 700 yet, but we're the 690 was the so far our record. Um, and we're going to get there. It's, it's just going to happen. I love that. And and this is the second time you've referenced that and said the 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 key word yet. <laughs> right? Yet. We haven't done it yet. Like it, it is going to happen. You've already manifested it. Um, what's amazing about that individual is now he's he, he reminds me like Chris, you know, I'm sorry I you know I you know I said all this stuff, but you've changed my mind and now that guy's making more money he's ever made ever. Um and he's doing an amazing job. He's doing really good. He's, he's grown a lot and uh, he's, he's doing a great job. Wow. This is incredible, man. I, I love this. And, and I love that. <laughs> I, I pay attention to language. It, it's kind of a weird nerdy thing. So when somebody asks, well, what makes you so special? Like talk about the biggest insult on planet Earth. What do you mean? Right. Like, like I exist. I'm like, what are you saying? What makes me so special? I, there's air in my lungs. <laughs> you know, I'm special. <laughs> Sorry. You don't see the worth of it, me being here. I mean, you know, it's funny as you, I, 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 you know, I've written a couple books at that point. I, there's proven track record more than any, like, you know, there's no reason why someone would have doubted me. Right. But this guy still doubted me. And I'm just looking on my man. Look, I promise you, it's going to be good. I promise. So, yeah. uh, luckily, he stuck around, and uh, he's he's really happy he did. I think this is amazing. I have a, a couple more questions as we wind down. So, the, the the first one being, you mentioned this individual is now making more money than he's ever made, and and talk about quite a miraculous turnaround from what was a bowel clenching year of like, what's going to happen? Everything shuts down, lockdowns, the whole world deals with the pandemic. Now, none of us can watch a good pandemic movie because we realize that, no, we don't turn into zombies. We actually just have to stay at home and watch Netflix. We have to stay at home. Talk about the inception of a pandemic is sitting at home during a pandemic, watching Netflix movies about pandemics. Um, But the point being is people are breaking records, like shattering records. We're, we're coming fresh out of a pandemic where nobody knew what was going to happen. And you're saying we sold 690 and, and essentially we are going to 700 and then 800 and then whatever. There's the flip side of the industry there. And, and I know you've heard it on clubhouse. I've, I've heard it on clubhouse. There's a lot of pontificating going on around the impending doom of the car business, the way we know it. There's those saying we're getting nice and fat right now, but wait, cause there's a storm coming. And I have to admit, I do tend to say, Hey, be prepared. I don't know if it's the boy scout in me, but well, I think what, with all of us, yeah. but, but what, what are your thoughts? Like, what do you see from your vantage point the next three, five, I don't know, 10 years. What, what is, what is the industry going to look like during that time frame? You know, I had this conversation. I uh, went to NCM training just recently, um, and I have my last class um, for executive training uh, next week or the following week. Um, and, and I basically just told them, look, 
the next five years, you're going to continue to see a lot of consolidation. Uh, you see Lithia buying up dealerships left and right. You see AutoNation. You see all of these stores that are buying, I mean, consolidating. They're, they're buying a lot of stores. Um, and so you'll see these groups. You'll continue to see them get bigger um, because they're just buying out all the smaller stores. Um, but I, I think of any good operator, you know, whether it's a down market or an up market, the best always do good. And, um, and, you know, they say success is a lousy teacher. And that's why I don't care how many cars I sell or what, whatever, we, however successful we get, it's never good enough to me because I always look at all of the inefficiencies where I can, that I, I we could have done a little bit better. And I never let everybody forget where we could be. Uh, as much as great as it is, you know, we still celebrate the wins. Don't get me wrong, but I still make sure that I keep everybody grounded in knowing that there's still opportunity. As so, great as we, we are, there's there's always an, a, a way. Yeah, and as long as we don't get romantic about winning every day, we'll continue to stay ahead of the curve. Yeah, and you, we're you've got the Chicago Bulls. You've got that <laughs> Chicago Bulls just won our fifth championship. We don't know we're going to win the sixth one yet, but we are. But you celebrate for like five minutes, and then you're you're back to, you're back to work. Exactly. Um, <laughs> now here's the controversial question of the day: That single point store who's wondering about the future, what would you say the indicator for them ought to be? to whether they should sell to the lithia or really make a go of this and see what can be done. Well, for those ones, you're either in a position where you think big and you want to get big, like uh, Glenn Lundy, right? That little rural store that he, he went up to the thousand. Right. Um, if you're in that mindset, then just keep going. Right. But if you're not, this is probably the most money you've ever made as a dealer because margins have been the biggest they've ever been. Then you're going to get the biggest multiple you've ever had. Then this is probably an opportunity for you to just kind of, you know, hang up your hat. Now, if you want to grow and, and do more, then there's that opportunity. I mean, there's, there's dealers that I know that are in those smaller markets that are pulling, doing a great job pulling from those bigger markets and they're super successful. Um, the challenge in those ones is, you know, you might pull a lot of people in, but you're not main, retaining those UIO for your service department. Um, and that's really where most dealers are don't really focus as much as they should is in the service department um, and or growing the service department. There are a lot of maintainers in the industry, people that just want to maintain what they're doing and don't, don't have the foresight to grow that service department even more. When I look at you know, how many Jiffy Lubes in the world there are in the United States there are and all of those other, you know, shops on the side that, you know, are just taking the dealer's business because they're so, you know, comfortable in their current environment that they don't grow their service department. And, uh, and that's my opportunity. Man, I love it. In order to, you know, I often say this to, well, not anymore, but I used to. As we were really in startup mode with my business, um, the conditioning of mindset is really about what you've been talking about here. It's like opportunities don't announce themselves. They're not 
flying through the door like Kramer on Seinfeld saying, I'm an opportunity. You're either prepared or in a constant state of preparation and you recognize it and do something or you don't. And if anybody's wondering if Cirillo owned a single point store for, for the one of you that's wondering, my mom probably, who you know, who uh, it, it, I would be in go acquire sleepy store mode right now. Right now, I wouldn't be waiting. I, w- I would be doing it right now. Like what Chris just talked about, margins are higher than they've ever been. Things are good. My belly is full. I want to go find that 80-year-old, that 60-year-old, 70-year-old owner who maybe doesn't have a succession plan, who's sleepy, who's like, whatever. Go give him a multiple and say, mazel tov, man, you rung the bell. Now you're out. Go enjoy the rest. But I'm going to try. Like, I'm not waiting for Lithia to come and sniff out my market or Auto Canada or whoever the big groups are. I am talking to my bank today. I'm talking to my financial <laughs> today. That's just my own philosophy because I think I think there is an opportunity. So I guess the last question to that is, do dealerships still exist in 10 years? Absolutely. For sure. I think that, you know, you'll see what, you know, Ford is doing. And actually a lot of dealers right now, or manufacturers are doing the whole... Um, it's order from home type thing mm-hmm. that they're really trying to, you know, cause in the past they've tried to like really come in and be, you know, self-direct consumer. Right. Um, with the, I mean, there's a lot of laws in place to, that protects the dealer the franchise. Um, so it's going to be, it, it would be a long road ahead, but they have the money to do it. If the manufacturer wanted to go in and say, I'm going to go and sell direct to consumer, but it, it would just be, it'd be too tough. I think that the dealer serves its purpose. They do a great job. Um, the consolidation is going to happen. Um, I just think that you'll see some automation that'll come into play that is going to maybe reimagine the salesperson a little bit and, and or any redundancies in the industry and in, in, in the business that are just kind of repetition like redundancies yeah, that right. taken away. Yeah, man. This is amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. How can those listening get in touch with you to learn more about you? Uh, you can go to my website, chrisjosephmartinez.com um, or you can catch me on Facebook, LinkedIn, anywhere. I'm, I'm there. Amazing, man. Thanks for joining me on the Dealer Playbook Podcast. I'm Michael Cirillo, and you've been listening to the Dealer Playbook Podcast. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. Leave a rating or review and share it with a colleague. Thanks for listening.